Welcome to Reputation Town. It's been a while. We've had uh, people, well, one person online trolling us because we're a little late with uh, this week's episode. Yeah, our fan. That's great. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's mostly just scheduling mayhem as usual. Well, because we have actual jobs and we do this for free. <laughs> the lack of commercials and sponsors is what you, that's the, the downside. Uh, you know, you, 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 it might not be as regular as you want it to be. That's true. That's true. So we were talking about carbonated beverages a couple seconds ago. I think people need to hear this gripping drama. Well, you know, it's one of those interesting things where I used to drink tons of Diet Coke. Still occasionally, Terrible occasionally enjoy it. But um, I was saying that a friend, a friend of mine, the hockey dad I met, he was drinking carbonated water, like sparkling water, which I occasionally had at, you know, dinner here and there. But then I, I realized actually what I wasn't enjoying with the Diet Coke so much was the Diet Coke. I was enjoying <laughs> the experience of drinking a carbonated drink. And so it's like, ah, I can drink more of this without it being Diet Coke. Without giving yourself uh, aspartame poisoning. <laughs> it's it's a highly tested substance. Like what are thirty you the, years of testing. It's uh, aspartame is safe. Are you the PR guy for right. aspartame? <laughs> Let me check. Hold on. No, no, it's not, not good. It's not good for you. Well, they give it to rats. It's not bad. And they get cancer. They get riddled with cancer. Uh, anyway, the, the bottom line is, we just realized because we have a video on, we're drinking the same thing. We're drinking, we are drinking the same thing. Wonderful carbonated beverage that has no aspartame in it. <clears throat> this podcast will never be brought to you by any of the Coke family products at this point. <laughs> okay, so any off-topic stuff you want to jump into before we start uh, bashing and lauding the brands? Uh, you know what? It's interesting. I, I'm really, I feel like the, I feel like, all the, all the pieces are in place for things to turn positive finally. I, I, like I'm looking right now at the U.S., you know, New York City opening up again and places like Florida and Miami, as, as much as we, we made them the whipping, whipping post of what not to do, the fact that they're overflowing with the vaccine and people are getting vaccinated has allowed them to go back to some semblance of normal. It makes you jealous, and I'm looking forward to that happening here. You think, like, so did you get your first shot yet? I did. Finally did. Congratulations. Which one did you get? Uh, owing to my uh, advanced <laughs> kidney failure, I got the got the Pfizer shot. Oh, that's uh, the that's the, apparently yeah. the the best uh, the most popular one. <laughs> so they say, but you know any of the vaccines are. Good. I know. Like we have never asked before what brand they are, and it's yeah. it's this is the whole this is what this show is about the whole reputation and branding and. No matter if it was ignorance or or maliciousness from on behalf of other organizations, everyone's asking which one did you get? And like, so anyone, I'm like, I got the uh, AstraZeneca one. I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, I heard on your on your other podcast you talking about that. Oh um, my god, you listen to that? Yeah, I do. Aww, thank too. you. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, it's interesting. Just on this point, what, what was it like two weeks ago? Maybe maybe. Three weeks ago in the U.S., they had the pause of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is interesting because it's it's one that doesn't require a booster. It's one shot. You know, they've ordered millions of doses of that in the U.S. And there were after seven million doses doses had been administered, there were seven cases of I guess blood clots, mm -hmm. and and public health there made a big deal of. Uh, announcing a pause while well, well, we studied this, which, which, you know, okay, you can debate on the basis of, of, you know, one instance per million, mm -hmm. whether that's something worth pausing or not. But then after a, a, at least a week, maybe two week pause, they agreed to um, uh, reinstate its use with the, the idea that you'd have to notify people that a blood clot was, was a rare side effect. Mm -hmm. And so what you basically did was you completely torpedoed the credibility of the vaccine to do the thing that everyone knew about already, 
Um, and to me, that's a colossal failure, not in communications, but in, in actually just doing your job because you know, what, what's the better public health outcome, um, in that circumstance. And I, I would argue that they came down on the wrong side of that. Oh, for sure. And, and, and people would end up either not getting it or delaying because of that. And who knows what the health implications are. Like, you know, if you look at that number out of a million people, how many people would have a heart attack? How many people would get killed in Mm -hmm. a car accident on the way to, to get the vaccination? Like there are side effects to everything. There's side effects to aspirins and Mm -hmm. and Advil and Tylenol. I'm allergic to Tylenol actually. So if you ever want to have a laugh, a couple of those, yeah, it's crazy. But um, obviously I'm not an expert in uh, anything medical, but it's been really frustrating to watch the degree. Like I even talked to my kids. I said, they're going to be lowering the ages where children can start getting it soon in our area. And they're like, well, which which one is it? The blood clot one. And I'm like, oh man. So it's frustrating. (laughs) Do you want to, that's the tagline, right? (laughs) The blood clot one. (laughs) <laughs> I'm waiting for mine to kick in. It's been uh, two, two and a half weeks yet. And so, so far so good. Did you have any side effects? Oh yeah. I felt like garbage for about two full days. Came home, you know, three, four hours. I'm like, Oh, like I feel good. Like, you know, Superman, I'm cool. And then um, when I went to bed, it was just full of on chills and shaking and just a uh, headache. And that lasted for a couple of days. We're kind of f- just tired and then yeah. I'm fine. And uh, the only side effect I am I have now is that I won't die of COVID, so or give it to somebody else. That's good. That's good. Well, this is the thing I, I, I truly think this is that the government, I think, and public health, I think, should be making a virtue of this and telling people that once you get vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you have your two shots. Mm. That the payoff for that should be you don't need to wear a mask anymore because like you're you're physiologically incapable of of shedding virus at that point because you are vaccinated against it the virus can't reproduce and your immune system will kill it and so in order to encourage people to get vaccinated this should be the 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 you know the 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 payoff or the benefit from it we'll see if they actually do something like that but to me that is like you know, let make, give an incentive to do this. For sure. What do you think? Um, I, I, I'm already seeing signs of this in the States, and I think we're going to see it here too, that people, even once everyone is fully vaccinated or everyone who wants to be, and um, the, the pandemic is declared over, I think there are going to be a lot of people continuing to wear masks, not because of any medical necessity, but the whole virtue signaling thing, like that's become really yeah, big. And yeah. the shaming of like, some I heard some guy saying, you know, he's running, he was jogging outside, not like nowhere, no one within a hundred feet of the guy, and someone from across the street saw him and was like gesturing, I'll oh, put your mask on. And the guy's like, I'm outside. Like, like what are you <laughs> So there's gonna be some of that, which is kind of irritating. Yeah. And that uh, yeah, there will be a bit of overhang like that for sure. The did you see the you know who Logan Paul is? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I didn't see whatever you're talking about though. <laughs> Why do I not like this guy so much? I I just, I find it difficult that someone would make a career out of just irritating people and just pushing bound, like, just, I find that so uncomfortable. But he was the guy who, the first time I heard of him, I'm sure everyone knows who he is at this point, but if you don't, just Google it and it's whatever. It's just him and his brother, a couple of YouTube dorks or whatever. Anyway, he, um, the first time I heard about him, they were in that forest where that individual had um, hanged himself or whatever, and they were taking YouTube videos. Oh, they were being yeah, all yeah. goofy and very uh, disrespectful. And so, in that same vein, he's a boxer now. He, did you know this? He's like having professional fights. Like they're these guys are pretty jacked. Like they're actually pretty decent boxers. He's going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather. Really? They're having an actual fight. And so yesterday they had a press conference where they uh, squared off <clears throat> Floyd Mayweather, arguably one of the most successful boxers in history. I don't, yeah. I don't think he's been defeated ever. And he's, he rarely gets touched like pretty boring fights to watch. But anyway, the two of them are having this fight. It's going to be a huge payday. And they had a, uh, one of those just, you know, like not a weigh in, but just like a little press conference yesterday. And they're kind of shouting back and forth. And Logan Paul <laughs> grabs his hat off his head, like something you do in grade three and says, I got your hat. And he runs away. And then a bunch of people tackle him and start pounding on him. And, uh, I just, obviously it's, it's done on purpose. Um, but I just, I can't put into words how irritating I find that guy. I don't, maybe it's my age. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm surprised that Mayweather, like, unless he's 
Like he's made a lot of dough, so unless he's short on cash or something, this seems like more like something structured for for public relations than it is for actual sport. I think the payday is going to be enormous, and that's the, really and that's and I think he is looking for an opportunity to shut this guy up. But there are people who who think because <laughs> Logan Paul is actually quite quite a bit bigger than this guy has quite a bit bigger, longer reach. And there are some people who are thinking all he needs is a lucky punch to knock this guy out. And that would be, wow. That'd be terrible for, you know, <laughs> it would be interesting to see, but it, I think it would be terrible for boxing. It would be, and then, Oh my God, if you think he's irritating now, <laughs> if you want that, you know, it's funny, like boxing was such a thing in the seventies, right? Do you remember that? Oh, like Roberto Duran, up and that Saturday and that was the thing to oh, watch. Yeah, and it was on TV every weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, it's interesting to see. And I don't know, of course, MMA is, it's sort of morphed into that. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the viewership is and less so, less, less on boxing. But it used to be, it used to be like one of the mainstay sports that really galvanized attention whenever there was one of those big fights. And, oh, yeah. And I guess that still happens occasionally, but it seems like it's, it's less frequent. And maybe that's because more of the attention is on the MMA stuff. MMA is big. And uh, yeah. Rocky Balboa too. We can't we can't ignore the fact that that took place all throughout the '70s. All the big Rocky movies. I was a huge, huge fan of those. Totally, yeah. Mm. A different time back then, Warren. <clears throat> a simpler time. I was telling my kids the other day, actually, back in back in the '70s. I remember my grandfather used to take me to the to the horse track, and when I was twelve, he used to send me up to the betting window to bet on horses for him. Oh. <laughs> and of course, back you could do that back then. The actual the the people at the track would take bets from twelve year olds, <laughs> and you could buy you could buy cigarettes for your parents at the corner store as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think they do that anymore, but I hope not. As long as you had a little it's note, probably, these are for my, yeah, my mom. Or that's right. Jeez. Um, and the, the other thing I wanted to mention, have you seen what Gary Vaynerchuk is doing with his NFT launch? Have you seen any of this? Uh, I haven't seen, I've been following NFTs, but no, I haven't followed, I've been following his foray into them. It is, um, he just sort of revealed, we're taping this on Friday, <clears throat> May, I think 7th, is that the date today? And so he just revealed it a couple of days ago. The scope of this thing is really unbelievable. And we've talked about NFTs a couple of times on here and the ridiculous prices people are paying. And people are like, so, so what do you get? You don't, you get nothing. <laughs> like that's what you own. <laughs> and so um, anyway, he's launching this, uh, this, this uh, collection of, of, of tokens, 10,255 of these things. And there are these little cartoon characters that he's created in different versions of them, kind of like electronic sports cards. But the interesting thing that he is doing is he's attaching real world benefits to them. So they're going to be uh-huh. all uh, set out for auction. I think they estimate that they're the minimum price that each one's going to go for is probably one Ethereum or Ether. So that's about what, four, $4,200, $4,300 Canadian right now. Yeah. And so <clears throat> the some of them... Um, will give you access to a conference that he's looking to hold called VCon. It's going to be this huge conference. If you buy one of these tokens, you'll get um, three years of uh, free attendance to it as part of the thing. Some of them give you special access with him, like you can play video games with him, go to dinner with him, go to a basketball game with him. Some of them give you gifts, like just the thought and just the the benefit and value that's been loaded into these things is, is crazy. But from a financial standpoint, he stands to make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars from this long term. And the, I don't know if you know much about the smart contracts that are built into these things, but every time it gets mm-hmm. sold, he gets a 10% commission. So this is, uh, it, it is really kind of world changing the way that, and you know, some people think this is complete BS and this doesn't make sense. And this is just a fad. He has been, um, he has been ahead of the curve on a lot of big things. Social, first of all, the internet and what he did with his dad's wine business and um, social media and just what he's been able to do, uh, creating him a celebrity out of himself and this huge, huge agency that he has. And so um, I think this is going to be, you know, we joked about, you know, getting this wrong and kind of missing the boat, but I think this is going to be a huge, huge, huge thing for many, many companies, artists, creators, authors, Mm -hmm. just photographers, like just, musicians it's going to be big 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 but what he's doing and um they were supposed to launch it on the fifth but they're dealing with just some of the technical stuff so i think it's going to come out next week but it's going to be crazy to watch it'd be interesting to watch okay the reputation stuff who who do you want to start with today 
uh, you know, it's a, probably a small one, but I found it interesting. Um, and I'm going to get her name wrong, but um, um, Edward Rogers' wife. Suzanne. Uh, what's her name again? Suzanne Rogers. Suzanne Rogers. Um, so the, we, it was in the news, uh, as everyone probably saw, that uh, she issued an apology um, after she posted an Instagram photo. I guess she, her and her family were at Mar-a-Lago. And at the end of the night, uh, took a picture of Donald Trump and posted that to her Instagram story. And uh, there was a there was a big backlash. I guess what I found most interesting about this is a couple of things. First off, you know, it created a big backlash, I think, because her name is attached to, um, like, for example, there's a school of fashion at, uh, at um, Ryerson, Ryerson University. Yeah. Where, where you know, a lot of obviously young people who probably don't subscribe to Donald Trump as a <laughs> as a politician they typically like had a strong reaction to, and and so I felt it, it, interestingly I felt like it was kind of weird that she felt like she needed to apologize for posting the picture. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where. Um, it makes she says in her apology she didn't intend any political statement and it wasn't, you know, not something that she was basically just like it was at the end of our night there and we wanted to post it. Obviously, she found it impressive that she was had a picture of Donald Trump and wanted to share it. But I found it interesting that the that the, the solution to this from a, from a from a public relations standpoint they felt was to apologize for it. It, it just didn't seem to fit the the circumstance. And as a result, the apology kind of went over really flat, particularly because at, at the end, it's it ends with, I regret that my actions caused anyone to question my values or commitment to the communities and causes my family and I hold so dear. Which is kind of like not really apologizing for anything, but uh. telling people that they, you misinterpreted what, <laughs> what I did. Yeah. So do you think that there's nothing wrong with the the photo? You think she should, you know, she they're billionaires, they should be able to take photos with whoever they like. Well, I suppose they are, but then just know that if you choose to publish that on a platform like Instagram, it's going to say something about your values whether you think it does or not. Uh particularly when it's someone as polarizing as as Donald Trump. So so you know, it, it it goes back to this idea that if you feel like you need to apologize for something, apologize for it. Um, the kind of half apology or the, in this case, the, the, it's not, it's not me, it's you. Um, answer doesn't really fix anything. And, and to be honest, this is going to be what, like even this is like a bit of a tempest in a teapot. Like I got, I think it got attention because it's the Rogers family you know, notable Toronto for Canadian family for sure. Mm. Um, but at, at any rate, it, it just seemed to me that this was interesting from a, from a reputational standpoint because they put themselves in a position where this was a thing. The, the, the mechanism to try and get themselves out of the, out of the, out of the controversy they were in didn't really work. It wasn't the right one in the first place. I don't think, and wasn't executed particularly well. Uh, at the end of the day either. So I think it's just a lesson it goes back to, you know, I, I like looking at apologies and sort of breaking them down and, and evaluating them as if um, to determine if they really are actually going to solve the thing you're trying to solve for. In this case, I'm not sure it's the right mechanism. I don't know if they actually uh, was an effective use of it either. Um, if anytime there's an if or these sort of qualified um, apology. Yeah. Statements in there that, 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 try and leave yourself some wiggle room, it, it, it inevitably will, will, will fall flat. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I'd never heard of Suzanne Rogers, to be honest, before, before that story came out. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, uh, like why, why do you, isn't it, isn't it not enough to just have it on your phone? Do you, do you need to put it on Instagram? Do you need to throw it out there? And so maybe, maybe it's just one of those things that the moment was taken away. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, billionaires get bashed quite a bit, but they're not maybe super in tune with the, you know, the common folk. And maybe it was just a, uh, an oversight, but it's, it just, it talks about the woke backlash again and just everything, like everyone has an opinion about everything. 
Um, it's uh, like, I, I personally, do I give a shit if she took a picture with Donald Trump? I couldn't care less. Like, you know, it doesn't make my cell phone it's bill exactly. any higher. And, and any this lower. is, to, to be honest, like if, if, it, if I was in this circumstance, advise them, I would say, you know what? You posted it. Let, don't overreact. Just let this develop. Like who cares? Um, it, 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 uh, it certainly causes some, some issues for the, the places where your name is attached. But if you felt like this was something that was aligned with your values to share this, then you know what? Like, let's, let's let this sit out, sit out there and let's, let's watch and see how it develops. I think, I think they rushed to an apology because there was this, you know, there was any kind of reaction on social media. <clears throat> well, there's, they're slapping an apology on it. It's a, yeah. it's an apology in action only. It doesn't seem like it's something she's actually um, sorry for. Yeah. Just to make it go and th- away. And this is like, maybe she isn't sorry. So why, why would you apologize? Exactly. Um, the thing that I found most irritating was that they, they were in Palm beach while everyone in Ontario was supposed to be on lockdown that, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, and I understand people are flying here and there and people are going across, but it just, it, that, that it just the, like, we already know you're, you're out, you're billionaires and you're out of touch. Why do you have to like just hammer it home to people? So that would be, <laughs> you know, forget who the photograph is with. I think, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are, uh, they're putting a photo of them having dinner outside and they're like, it was from three years ago. Or like, they want you to know that it's not today. I'm being a good citizen. So it's, yeah, uh, that, that was another element of that too. Well, you know, that's a really good point, actually, because there's a lot of people who haven't seen their their parents or grandparents for a year or more, yeah, yeah. and um, on that basis alone, um, you'd think that that uh, they would have thought thought twice about it. Well, at least they're not going to get COVID from Trump because he's already had it, <laughs> and I guess he can't put it on his Instagram. So yeah, I guess she had to <laughs> <clears throat> um, anything else on that one? It was just, it, it got a lot of attention. I, I think I, I've sort of mined the depths of, uh, of that one, but um, what, what was on your mind this week? The big one I've been uh, looking at is Peloton and yeah, fast, really fascinated by this story. So just in a, in a, in a nutshell, the, you know, the cultish uh, exercise bike, very expensive piece of hardware with the membership and everything else. Like it's, you don't have one of these, do you? No, no, no. (laughs) I just want to see if you're part of the cult before we start. So um, everyone knows about these bikes. The people who use them rave about them, say they're fantastic. And so they recently launched a treadmill as well called the Tread Plus. And there have been a number of incidents. I think about 70 incidents with children being injured and one six-year-old girl in the United States being killed. They, They get dragged under the thing. And if you've seen any of these videos online, I just saw a couple before we, we jumped on here. They're they're horrifying. These kids are getting sucked under, and this this girl had big big cuts on her leg, and this kid's head is getting twisted around. And <clears throat> so the company was um, originally uh, pressured by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, that like, hey, you guys need to take this thing off the market. And the company pushed back and said, you know, we're absolutely not going to do that. And this is a multi, multi-billion dollar company. Uh, and so they said that they weren't going to. And then they came out a couple days ago, I think it was maybe yesterday or the day before, they said that, yes, that we're going to do a voluntary recall. We're recalling every one of these units. We're going to give people a full re- refund. And there's an issue with some of the screens falling off and stuff like that. So they did a, a bit of a 180. And, you know, so I sent out a tweet yesterday, um, good crisis management today from Peloton. And I, you know, again, I don't have, uh, what is it, a, a horse in this race, a dog in this fight, whatever the expression is, I don't really care. I'm just, we observe reputational situations like this. And so my comment was, it was a good uh, demonstration of crisis management. And a bunch of people got into the comments, yeah, but they could have done it like a week ago, they could have done it a month ago. And I'm like, yeah, it, that's why I said it wasn't great. It wasn't perfect. It was good. It was a good demonstration of crisis management to me. Um, I was, I've been trying to do a bit of a deep dive into this and finding out about the decision and the timing and the company and the products and the revenues and what this is going to cost. And I find this really, uh, really interesting. I think long term, I think this is going to be a blip on the radar. Um, have, mm-hmm. have you been following it much? I have. And I think I think you're I was just going to say on your last point, I think it will be a blip on the radar because they reacted like it may not have been as quick as they should have, but when they did react, they reacted with enough uh, intensity and um, and substance behind that reaction to um, to to put themselves on a footing for 
recovery and and make this something that's just going to be a footnote. You know, the, the, we've said it before. I'll say it again. Good crisis communications or issues management isn't about creating art, artful words because uh, it does include that. But what it starts with is taking substantive action. Like, what are you actually doing to fix the problem? And then we can talk about that. And had they had they done something that was short of what they did, given the seriousness of what was happening, it wouldn't have worked as well, right? They, it would have been looked at as a half measure. They don't really want to do this, um, and the fact that they that they reacted with enough intensity that peop- it looks like they actually are are meaningfully trying to fix the problem, and um, aren't just trying to you know do the bare minimum. They're going to be able to move past it. The uh, the recall is going to cost the company $165 million in the current quarter. They're recalling 125,000 of these treadmills. And uh, it's, if, uh, yeah, those sound like mind boggling numbers. And then I looked a little deeper. Do you know what their uh, sales were for the first quarter of this year? No. Guess. Okay. So I'm going to say first quarter. Uh, Five hundred million dollars. One point two six billion dollars for the first three months. So this so. this is a drop in the bucket. <clears throat> and so the uh, the timing, yeah, they they got it wrong in the beginning, and they did a complete one eighty. And I I would love to know the inside story or what happened, but to me it seemed it's someone at a very high level got to the CEO, who's also the co-founder. Um, What's his name? John Foley. And mm-hmm. th- there, there was an intervention here somewhere. Someone, whether there was a lawyer, communicator, a colleague, a friend, a mentor Investor said, or somebody said, yeah. you need to address this. You're not, you're, you're, you're on the wrong side of history right now. You have to overcorrect when you deal with the situation. And, uh, their response leaves very little to criticize. I think you, yeah, you can criticize the timing, but I would say that there are many companies from the past who've had crises who were still waiting for that degree of response from, you know, I think of like, I think of um, uh, Enron, I think of BP, just mm-hmm. all the, you know, United Airlines, every every two years has has something like this. And so there, a lot of those companies never really got it right and never corrected to that degree. And uh, you know what I found really the most fascinating thing of all is, you know, I, I looked at the apology and I was looking at what's going on on Twitter. Um, I found a couple of things interesting. First of all, if you go to Peloton's Twitter page, they still have a picture of the treadmill in their in their header, in their in their banner photo of it. And mm-hmm. it's still available for sale on their website. So if you go to their website, it says along the top, there's an announcement bar saying that the product has been recalled, but you can still buy it. You can still purchase it. So maybe it's a, a different version of it or whatever, but I don't know. But I found that odd. The most d- disturbing thing to me and this is why I use the cult word sort of tongue in cheek earlier. It's kind of like, uh, what's that thing? CrossFit or whatever. People like it's super, yeah, yeah, just yeah. They're really, really into it. Right. They love this thing. And so this company has that on its side. So I went to the company's uh, Twitter page and I just clicked on whatever the top tweet was. And I was looking at the comments underneath it. And what would you expect the general tone of those comments to be? Uh, probably negative given the, everything that they've... Exact opposite. It was so crazy. So the comments are basically, and this is, you know, there's hundreds of them, but I'm just kind of just generalizing. The comments were basically, I can't believe that you caved to these terrible parents. Parents <laughs> who shouldn't let their kids, if you're going to have, this is not a toy. This is the parents' fault. All these people who are rabid fans of the brand who were actually... And then I was looking, you know, is, has, has the brand been deleting tweets? And like, it doesn't look like they have. It looks like these are just the tweets under there. Like they're for every nine positive tweets for the company, there's maybe one negative one saying something bad, but most of them are like, I can't believe you caved. I can't believe you did this. And so I found that really interesting. And so then I look, where's this company going to be 12 months from now, two years from now, five years from now. I think this is just a, just a tiny, tiny blip on the radar and they're going to continue raking in tons of cash. They'll redesign the thing, they'll get it on the market, and we won't even remember this a year from now. I, I completely agree. And then, you know, this is the thing, right? Um, 160, what is it? You'd say 160 million bucks? 165. Okay. That that will totally be a drop in the bucket. Like one, one day of positive um, market reaction, once they get the, mar- the, the product, you know, redesigned or whatever and back on the market, we'll make that up in like 15 minutes. Like sure. it'll be 
It'll be nothing. I found it interesting that the the CEO, I went to check out his Twitter page as well, John Foley, and nothing about this at all. I think the last tweet that he sent out was April 30th. So I found that, it, it, you know, it's just, again, it, it's, it, it seems like, you know, they did all the right things. They did it a little bit late. They did, you know, initially they didn't want to, but that's, that's normal. That's human nature. You go into fight or flight mode. You try to make it be over. You be defensive. You dig your heels in. Maple Leaf Foods did the same thing too. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone says that they were such a great example of crisis management and they were probably the best one in Canadian corporate history. But at the very beginning in the first 24 hours, they did something kind of similar, right? They were pushing yeah. back and like trying to get their, wrap their heads around it. And so people don't remember that in social media, maybe wasn't as, uh, as just saturating as it is today. But I found it, it, it feels like, um, similar to the, the previous story about uh, Suzanne Rogers, it feels like tactics put tactics applied to a situation as opposed to a company full of people doing the right thing. And that's complete, just my subjective opinion, but that's what I take away from this, that this was a calculated business decision rather than a company doing the right thing. I can't prove that in any way. That's just the feeling mm. that I got from it. Hopefully they never have to have a situation like that again where they have to deal with a, a problem. But um, uh, interestingly, at the end of the day, it, 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 it won't matter because, as you say, they'll be, they'll be in a position where they're past this and it'll be one of those footnotes to history. And, and frankly, they're, they're probably going to get bought, bought by somebody else anyway and <laughs> made part of some, <laughs> yeah, some bigger maybe, conglomerate. Maybe Google... Google or Apple or whatever. What um, yeah. if you were going to give them a grade on their handling of this? All things considered, um, knowing what we know right now, what would it be? Like like A A to F. I could say, based on what I know of it now, be like a B plus. Nice. I was going to say like B minus. So we're in the B. We're in the B range. Yeah. And um, so if you were if you were going to look at this and apply this to other other companies. What are the lessons you would want to share or, or pull away from this Peloton example? You know, one of the, the, the first one that comes to mind is actually something that maybe not as obvious, which is crisis situations like this start when the company first starts getting those reports of complaints from customers about, you know, oh, the, you know, obviously the child who is, um, was killed. That's like an obviously severe and tragic situation. But my guess is there was probably some other reports that came into the company about other incidents or other things that were happening that, that were short of that. And it's the degree to which your corporate infrastructure allows those kinds of reports to, to be not just treated as an operational thing or a customer complaint, but actually elevated to this, to the executive team who is managing um, that kind of issue management situation. Mm. So they're aware of them in its, in their totality. And the analogy I'll make is, so I remember this goes back a number of years, but uh, we did a, um, a survey of uh, media reports around uh, pipeline companies. And there was one pipeline company in the U S that over the course of a number of years, had something in the order of 800 spills. Now, a lot of these spills were, you know, very small, like a teaspoonful of oil. But because it, because it happened, it had to be reported to, you know, the state or provincial ministry of environment or environmental regulator. And it was a spill. And so individually, those things didn't add up to much. But in aggregate, they were a big problem. That's a that's a bad headline, right? You've had 800 oil spills in the past two years. Um, by the same token, you look at a situation, a product like this, where you know it can be dangerous, um, especially to children. I wonder what kind of uh, incidents were being reported, and how the, how did those get elevated up in the company so that you maybe became aware of things in aggregate? And you know, who knows? Maybe if you saw a pattern of things developing. Um, you know, from an issue management standpoint, that's that's a signal that maybe maybe stronger stronger action is needed, other than just dealing with these things as a one off occasion. So, like to me, if that's a that's a big takeaway. If you're an organization where you have that kind of uh, interaction with people, your product is interaction with people that way, or you have an effect on people that could could be could be negative. 
uh, it's important to have that line of sight into how that's developing as a pattern. Do you know those things are over $4,000 too? Yeah, they're expensive. Yeah. That's, that's what, what about you? What did you take away from it? So if, if I were, you know, it's, it's so funny that the it, crisis management basically comes down to the same five or six lessons just applied in different situations. And it's so funny that the human brain I find is like the, 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 the weakest link in the process. If you, if you haven't built up the muscle memory before the crisis, it's very difficult to do it afterwards. And so this is why we talk about the importance of training. This is why we talk about the importance of simulations because you, once the crisis hit, it's kind of too late. And this, I mentioned it earlier, but you go into fight or flight mode. It's a very normal human reaction and it literally shuts off parts of your brain. The parts that you need the most, the rational decision-making strategic thinking gets kind of diminished because your brain is in survival mode. Like how do we get out of this? And so you're thinking with a diminished brain and that's why companies make a lot of these decisions and smart people and people with access to a lot of capital make bad decisions. I think it's a skill that you need to develop ahead of time. And you basically come up with totally your crisis agree. strategy before the crisis takes place. Like you write this document and you have it, you know, in case of emergency break glass or whatever. And we look, here's the thing. And, and I think rule number one is, and it sounds very Mr. Rogers and Hallmark, but it's like doing the right thing is always the right thing. And in this case, doing the right thing, like if that was, if that was your child or someone that you knew or someone in your inner circle, I think they would be taking it a lot more seriously than just some stranger from Idaho or wherever the family was from. And so, um, if you looked at the design of the, of the product, it's a flawed design. It's, it's, uh, it's like really cool looking and kind of space, space age looking thing, but it's so high off the ground. And, you know, in some treadmills, there's just that flat part and then it, it goes underneath. But this one, actually, the, the, the band or the tread goes all the way around and it's high enough off the ground that you can actually suck a two-year-old kid underneath this thing with tremendous force. And so if that's the case, then you make the decision that, you know, the right thing would be take them off the shelf, recall the products as expensive and as painful as that is. One kid is one kid too many and redesign it and bring it back to market. And so from a from a crisis management standpoint, it's the right thing to do. From a reputational standpoint, it's the right thing to do. And I would argue from a financial standpoint, it's the right thing to do. Now, the 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 unknown here is what would have happened if they didn't come up with a and they made it very clear in their in their comments that this was a voluntary recall. I believe that they were about to be sued by the, the Consumer Product Safety Commission if they mm. didn't, because they can mandate it. They can make it an involuntary recall. And I think that sounds much worse to your shareholders and the public than if you do it on your own. And so I think they were, you know, again, does it sound like they're just a bunch of good people and trying to be empathetic and do the right thing? Or is this a CEO who and, and, a, and a board that felt like they were painted into a corner? I think it's more of the latter. Yeah, possibly, possibly. You know what? They got to the right place though at the end of the day and they're, they're going to benefit from it. I would not buy a $4,000 treadmill, I'll tell you that. No, I, I probably wouldn't either. So keep an eye on it though because who knows, right? Uh, we'll see where this goes. All right, anyone else do you have on deck that you want to uh, discuss or do a post-mortem on? Uh, I think we should talk about the NHL. I think you're, you 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 were texting me about that. I think it was a good uh, yeah, a good one. Yeah. Uh, do you want to set that set that up? Okay, so um, Tom Wilson plays for the Washington Capitals, is pretty notorious as a dirty player. He was the one who um, sidelined Sidney Crosby for like a year. And I know this because of the hockey pool that we're in, which I want to talk about before we wrap it up. Yeah, he also he also scored like a really shitty goal against the Leafs a couple of years ago. Remember that? And they knocked the Leafs out. Oh, was that? Is that? Yeah, yeah. I do. yeah. Anyway, so anyway, he's obviously a, a you know talented hockey player, but he has a reputation for being a little dirty. And they were at one of those outdoor classic games, and he gave Sidney Crosby an elbow on the head and knocked him out. And he was he was out for quite a while. And um, so there was a game with uh, the New York Rangers, I think last week, and they got into a little scrum around the net and he um, pulled one of the players down kind of by the hair and his head smashed on the ice. And it's just, it was like one of those ugly incidents. And you hear all these leagues saying that they're going to be, um, you know, uh, taking a stand against concussions and, you know, making sure that people are dealt with properly. And so he ends up getting a $5,000 fine, which is, for a hockey player making the, the salaries they do is like, is literally like they probably have that change in their couch. 
and no no suspension. And that's the key thing. And now because of the COVID situation, all these teams, they don't have a normal schedule. They're playing each other night after night, right? Because of the, the scheduling and the, the conferences and all that. And so they were going to play each other two days later. And so uh, nothing happens from a disciplinary perspective. And then when the game takes place, and I, I was trying to find that game, <laughs> I was trying to find that game on TV. It wasn't on anywhere. But I ended up seeing... Chris Johnston, you know, the the sports uh, commentator guy, he was posting video clips from the game. And so it looked like a scene from Slapshot. Like they, they <laughs> it was funny. Did you see it? <laughs> I did. Yeah. They lined up for the, the beginning of the end. They dropped the puck and just everybody's and fighting. All, everybody's, all five, <laughs> five, five positions start fighting. Everybody's <laughs> fighting. And then people are taking runs. And so the penalty boxes were just stuffed with people. Old, old time hockey. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and then they took Wilson out of the game saying that he had an injury, uh, come on, whatever. Anyway, and Ovechkin didn't play that night. I'm wondering if they were just trying to protect him from getting hurt. Like, you know, well, maybe we'll take him out like that. Cause that's, you know, that's a legitimate target, right? If you're going to mm-hmm. get somebody back, why don't you take out their best guy? And so anyway, this, this is neither here nor there. And anyone listening from the United States is probably, doesn't really care about this much, but you know, big hockey fans here. And so anyway, the New York Rangers came out with a statement that was very, um, very tersely worded at taking a shot at the NHL for not doing what they said. Basically, the NHL didn't do its job. They should, you know, if you say that you're going to be policing this kind of behavior, then you should have taken this guy out. And and they didn't. And so um, they, they had this statement that went out on social media basically calling for the job of one of the top executives at the NHL for basically not doing their job. And um, that I'd never seen anything like that before. And everybody was like, Oh my God, this is, this is crazy. And so then the next thing you see is that the president and another executive of the Rangers get fired within 24 hours. And then everyone says, it's just a coincidence. It had nothing to do with that timing. And then the national hockey league uh, finds the New York Rangers $250,000 for making that statement against the league. And so, the takeaway from this is that uh, if you if you if you recklessly endanger the health of one of the players, um, that's fine. But if you hurt Gary Bettman's feelings, that's not fine. And so that was that's the the basic backdrop of that. And I have to say that I'm I'm not a fan of Gary Bettman. I when he would hand out the Stanley Cup and get booed, just relentlessly booed. That's like one of my favorite parts of the hockey season every year. <laughs> and so this to me just cements that reputation of just being kind of dicks, you know, just not just you know, you talk about doing the right thing. This to me, they the the league created that situation and they are I would say lucky that no one got more seriously injured in that game. Well, in Okay, so I, I don't want to I, I don't want to be an apologist for Gary Gary Bettman, but Here we go. I'm going to say like it, let's just assume that the structure of that office works like a like a like a normal corporate office where you'd have like levels of responsibility for things. And so the guy who you're talking about, who who supposedly makes decisions on suspensions and fines, is the director of player safety, who in this case is ironically like an old goon from <laughs> from previous years this guy george peros so should it be should it be so shocking that a guy who was formerly known as a tough guy and you know i don't know if he was a fighter he fought occasionally but he he was he was a pretty um he was a guy to throw, throw his body around yeah uh is it shocking that he doesn't look at that and say eh, you know we'll, we're gonna give him five games or whatever suspension but i think your your point is correct in that so this is not a normal workplace. Obviously these they're playing a sport and there's contact in the sport, but there's a level, there's a, there's a point at which, you know, contact in the course of playing the game and taking some, like someone who doesn't have a helmet and driving their head into the ice, uh, is not the normal course of like workplace engagement. Like if you, (laughs) can you imagine the parallel in in a traditional office, you know, like, it just doesn't happen. And so the fact that that wasn't seen as something outside the normal course of play and that was deserving of, of, uh, of, of some sort of discipline is, is ridiculous. And then I'm going to add another layer on top of that. Um, uh, and say that what like the, the NHLPA, the players union, like when I, like any of those players could be playing against that guy next year or, you know, not this, 
the rest of the season, but maybe in the fall there are switch teams and they're playing against them. Do you want to be on the ice with a coworker who's going to like basically potentially like end your career, you know, like give you a, a career ending concussion because he's going to grab you without a helmet and throw your head on the ice. It's just, just crazy. And the fact that the union is, is incapable or unable to, um, you know, enforce some sort of standards on their own, on their own, uh, members is, is maybe just, maybe they just don't have the ability to do it currently or something, but it just, it just speaks to maybe the need that there's gotta be more work done there too. Um, it, um, I don't know. It just, it leaves you shaking your head. One of the big problems is that hockey, the, the NHL has a history of giving top executive jobs to former hockey players and nothing against hockey players. They're not as a group, the brightest folks, you know, some of them are, are, you know, very intelligent executives, but a lot of them are not. And, um, there, I don't, you know, I don't know if every other major sport does that. I think a lot of them bring in executives who are specialties in those areas. Mm-hmm. And this to me was one that they, that they missed. And then by the huge fine, well, I guess, you know, huge is relative terms, but $250,000 fine for basically sending out a tweet, um, because the team was, you know, they were they were very upset that one of their assets was injured, and then you know, I'd I'd love to know why was the president of the team John Davidson? Why was he canned? You know, what what was the phone call from Gary Bettman to the owner of the team? You know, like just all these things behind the scenes. Why did that take place? And so I'd, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when those things took place. But I thought good for them, good for the Rangers for taking a stand and putting that statement mm-hmm. out there. They must have known they were going to get hammered. Any anytime you say anything about the refs or anything about the league, you do it at your own peril. But to me, this is one where the league. Um, and, and uh, again, specifically Gary Bettman demonstrate that they're out of touch and, uh, I would say hypocritical. And I think it exposes that weakness of having uh, former hockey players in very powerful executive positions. It, uh, well, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a normal workplace, some normal thing, but it gets a ton of attention in Canada and regionally in the U S too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it, it's a, a lesson we can look at. Now, the hockey pool. I know that no one knows about this. No one cares about this. But <clears throat> we've been in this pool for, what is it, 17 years now? 17 and, years, yeah. And you are the, the, the leader in, in, in uh, number two finishes. You've never I think, hoisted. I think it's technically the, the t- uh, title is the biggest loser. <laughs> <laughs> well, the most frequent one, anyway. I don't know if you're not the biggest. You're the tallest. But um, you've come second. I don't even know how many times. Maybe you know, but it's, it's a lot. And um, one year... Um, you you lost because a puck the last game of our season, the last player on the ice we were tied you and I and the yeah. puck went off Jeff Carter's nipple and went into the net and he got credit <laughs> for that and that's how I won. I actually felt bad about that. I thought, oh my god. So this and the reason I bring it up is because we're in this pool, super competitive, and you are one of the two teams left. And so within a couple of days we're going to know. And how are you feeling about that? You know, I, I've come to keep my expectations low. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I'm I'm a bit behind. Like, it can go anyway. It's one of those years where who knows what will happen. There's all these postponed games and uh, yeah. um, it just, just anyway, anyway, it could, either of us could take it. You don't have Tom Wilson on your team, do you? I don't. I was tempted to pick him up, but he's probably done. <laughs> You could, use the, you could use the penalty, uh, the penalty minutes. How many moves do you have left? I, know, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here. But like, I, I got two, two moves left. Save, save them for Sunday. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, best of luck with that. Thanks, Anything Mark. else you want to mention? Or are we, uh, have we exhausted the, uh, the reputational matter for the week? Uh, you know what? I, I, nothing of substance other than to say that I think what, what we're going to find is as... Um, um, well, let me say this. I think as we get out of the third wave of the pandemic and as more people get vaccinated and people get back back to, to doing stuff, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how um, companies and people start making the transition back to some sort of uh, normalcy and the kind of public relations and reputational um, missteps or, or opportunities that people will, will reap from from this because it's, it's going to be an experience that... Um, really none of us have lived through before so it'll stay tuned i think it'll give us more fodder for future episodes that is going to be fascinating to see 
it's not necessarily just scientific and, and medical. It's like all of the political and all the baggage and, you know, what does your mask signify and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And people who frankly might be afraid to go out of the house because everything about the past year has been fear, 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 fear from everybody. And uh, as you know, fear wins political elections mm-hmm. and fear is a great, uh, a great motivator. But um, I think there are a lot of people who are actually pretty freaked out right now. And, uh, not everybody is super resilient. And at a certain point, like I, you know, I have trouble remembering what it was like before, you know, like I, you know, doing uh, the work that we do from home was such a, like doing a media training session from your house was such a novelty and so bizarre. And now it seems like the only way to do it. So like as, as eager as I am to get back out in the world, it's just like, we've been doing this so long that it's become second nature. I got to tell you, one of the things that is, is a huge benefit for I'll say just in, uh, I'm sure you've experienced it too, but um, you know, we work on these projects where there's a lot of different parties involved and you know, the tr- transactions or something and, and being able to have now everything first off uh, connecting on video or just even online versus trying to crowd around speakerphones in a boardroom is uh, eons better than it was before and the idea of you doing all this stuff collaboratively in the cloud such a huge uh ease um for for people in our business it um it it's been now mind you we we made that transition a couple years ago um ahead of the pandemic but just every every time we do it now and i'm thinking like oh my god this used to be so hard you know keeping track of like versions and you know who's got the version who's, who's working on it and sending it back and forth it uh coming out of this, I think I'm hoping that um, these lessons are going to get adopted by more and more places and just stick because it's just such a more efficient way of working. Very nice. Um, it occurs to me that there's never every week there's stories that, that fit into this. Like there's never, I don't think there's going to be a week where we don't have some kind of fodder like, no, and we're just picking some of the most interesting ones. There's so many of these every week and it's just so interesting that companies continue to get the stuff wrong. And uh, you know, it was, you know, cause but Peloton, we're talking like, you know, again, I think they overall, they got it right. They kind of messed up at the beginning. They corrected. And I think there are some lessons there. It's um, anytime you have a death of a kid is, is going to be, or death of anybody is going to be very, very serious. But uh, I think there are some overall, some, some good lessons to take away from that one. Uh, best of luck in the playoffs. I uh, Thanks Warren. We'll see how it goes. I, I don't know if I can help you at all, but uh, <laughs> I'll be, well, actually, and you know, if, if whoever wins, it'll be, it'll be great. I will be happy either way. Both yeah, deserving Both first-time winners. All right. Thanks very, very much. Have a great weekend, and we'll uh, do this again next week. Thanks, Warren. Take care. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.